the baby boomers are retiring in mass right now. It's something like 15 mm -hmm. to 16,000 people a day. And what they're doing is they're going from these large three to five bedroom apartments in the suburbs and they're downsizing it to condos and townhomes because they're empty nesters now. So what happens to all of that stuff? Typically yeah. it goes into storage. But then on the older end of the baby boomer um, divide, you have people that are unfortunately going into assisted living or, or passing away. And they pass away with a lot of possessions. And typically their children, um, instead of having to go through that emotional decluttering, they're just putting it in a self-storage facility and just letting it set. Self-storage is a very sticky asset which means once you get your stuff in there and you put your credit card on auto pay, you basically forget about it until it's time to move on. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Fernando Angelu uh, Angelucci. Did I pronounce that sure. correctly? Angelucci? Right, Angelucci. Uh -huh. All right, perfect. By the age of 30, Fernando has built a portfolio of over $200 million in self-storage assets across the country within the last four years. Fernando diversified his investments between purchasing existing cash flowing assets and building ground up. Welcome to our show, Fernando. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. This is incredible in four years. Yeah, it's been, it's been a quite a journey. <laughs> what made you realize to pivot from residential into self-storage. I interviewed someone else about self-storage as well in recent weeks, and he loves it. He was in multifamily before, and all he touches now is self-storage. So I, heard, I learned a lot from him as well, but what caused you to transition into it? Yeah, so there, there's main, nine main reasons why I decided to switch out of habitation-based real estate into self-storage. But it, one of the main things it comes down is to, I don't want people living in my investments because that is an x factor that you can't control for you can screen people as well as you can try to do everything you can take up a deposit up front but if something happens in their life and they decide they don't want to pay and you have to go through an eviction there's the opportunity of them causing a substantial amount of damage to your building out of spite uh, before they get evicted and that's actually one of the things that happened to me i bought a six unit apartment building all with tenants in place because of illinois law and when I came to offer cash for keys for most of the tenants, they just started, decided to start talking to each other and say, hey, nobody pay and let's see how long we can stay in here. So the, the longest one took eight months to get out. And by the time uh, we had the sheriff show up to remove her, she had cost almost $25,000 in damage to the unit, cutting electrical, pouring concrete oh, wow. down, the plumbing. So I don't want to deal with wow. people like that anymore. Right. I only want yeah, to deal with yeah. commercial based tenants and customers that they can't really do any damage because all my structures are made out of concrete and steel. There's no drywall. There's no plumbing. There's nothing they can touch. My brother is actually dealing with something like that right now. And they said the same thing. They said they're not going. So at least six months, they don't have to pay rent before you can get them out. So six months, he's out basically. 
and hopefully yeah. they leave peacefully and they don't cause the damage that you're talking about. But it's just insane. It goes through people's minds when it comes to those kind of situations. Exactly. Yeah. So when you go for an existing facility compared to a ground up, what are the key factors that allow you to make that decision? Is it just the opportunity or you're actually scouting for one or the other? Yeah. So we run our company, not like a real estate or self-storage company, but more of a marketing company because the key to doing good deals is having high quality deal flow. So we built up our company to the point where we have a platform that allows us to look at 20 to 25 opportunities per week. And that's across the entire spectrum. So we have three main buckets. The first being buying mom and pop facilities. And I'll touch on why I call them mom and pop facilities. Doing the value add on them, raising rents, dropping expenses, uh, potentially increasing the value of the facility by bringing it up a grade from maybe a class C to class B or class B to class A, which then drops the cap rate at which we sell it to. And then what we do with those mom and pops is we will put them into a larger portfolio of 10 to 20 facilities, which then allows us to sell to a better capitalized buyer who's willing to make a larger transaction, who has a cheaper cost of capital, which then allows us to further increase value for our investors. So that's on one side. The problem with that strategy is a lot of these facilities are much smaller, 30 to 50,000 square feet. So to build up our presence by a square footage basis that we started doing ground up developments. So these ground up developments are typically going to be 80 to 140,000 square feet. They're class A, they're REIT grade, state of the art technology and security. They're typically going to cost us anywhere between 15 to $20 million to build. Whereas I can buy a mom and pop facility for a million to 3 million bucks. So much larger scale there. And then, of course, our third bucket is these adaptive reuse conversions where we will buy big box retail stores that are either defunct or have been dormant for a number of years, buy the existing shell for a pretty good price per square foot, and then turn it into storage, which allows us to not only drop our total project costs on a square foot basis okay. by anywhere between 20 and 30 bucks a foot, but it also allows us to drop our construction timeline from 12 to 14 months down to six to eight months. And when you're paying 50 to $100,000 in interest a month, a couple months makes a lot of sense. It brings a lot more return to your investors. So it's coming back to your question of how do we analyze the different opportunities? Let's start with the ground up construction side and then move our way back to the mom and pop side. So on ground up construction, because there's not an existing facility already there, there's no historical record of how a facility mm -hmm. was operating in that location. We have to use a lot of third party feasibility and internal underwriting. So the things that we look for are high population growth, high job growth. We're looking for areas where housing is starting to spring up by the big, the large home builders, DR Hortons of the world. Okay. We're also looking for three main things that really help for self-storage, and that is uh, high visibility, so that typically we're looking at traffic counts to the curb cut or facility. Um, you're looking at high median income, so people have the money to buy things that they don't have room to store and then pay us to store those things that they don't have room for. And then we're also we're looking for areas that have a supply issue. So typically the easiest way to see that is you look at all the competitors and if all the competitors 
are at stabilized or stabilized plus 90 to 100% occupancy with wait lists. That means that there's more demand in that market than there is supply and it gives us the opportunity to take on one of these projects that may take a little bit longer time to build. Okay. Now, moving one step down the risk spectrum, you have these adaptive reuse conversions. Typically, we're buying Sears buildings, Kmarts, self Walmarts, things of that nature. So there's already a shell in place. They're typically in a retail corridor of such. It may be a shopping center. It may be a commercial planned unit development, things of that nature. And that already hits some of those markers I was telling you about, because typically the shopping mall builders would not build in areas that didn't have, you know, High population density, high median incomes, and high visibility, because that's what drives foot traffic to these malls and these supermarkets. And then, so then getting to the easiest one to do as far as looking at historical numbers, you have your mom and pop facilities. You have a facility that's probably anywhere between 10, 10 to 30 years old. You have a ton of operating history. You can see where it's being mismanaged, where there's opportunities to increase NOI by either increasing revenue, either they're maybe charging, this is pretty common, they're charging below market rents because they don't do market analysis on a quarterly basis like we do to see what the competitors are charging. They usually don't raise rents as well on a standard uh, schedule like more of the professional operators do where we're raising rents every anywhere between four to nine months to keep up with inflation or beat inflation. So that's one of the opportunities. And then also dropping expenses. We see typically with these mom and pop facilities, they're overpaying for a lot of their vendors. They're overpaying on insurance. They're overpaying on their property taxes because they've never contested it. And then bringing in operational efficiencies from a professional operator, using management softwares that eliminate the need for a lot of labor, implementing additional profit centers, such as uh, billboards and cell towers and moving supplies and insurance, mandatory renter's insurance, where you get to keep up to 60 or 70% of the premium on that facility. So these are all of the ways that we find to increase NOI and how we know if this is a facility that makes sense for us. Mm, Very good. Thank you for that explanation. Some of the existing buildings, such as a Walmart, you could actually add retail there as well, because a Walmart will be in a heavy consumer zone. Right. Yeah. So we do not mix use our assets, makes it much more difficult to sell on the back end. Mm. A storage Mm -hmm. buyer is a storage buyer is not a storage plus retail or storage plus housing buyer. So that's more left to the multifamily people of the world where they, Mm -hmm. they typically need to put retail on the ground level and then multifamily on top to get zoning approved through the municipalities. That's not an issue with us. Typically, the way that we add additional services is through ancillary profit centers that are attached to the self-storage facility. So a lot of these things, I mean, I have a ton that we usually use. Car storage, RV storage, boat storage, locks, renter's insurance, like I mentioned, moving supplies, packaging materials, FedEx services, printing services, scanning, cell tower billboards, wine storage is a specialty one, gun storage is another specialty one, truck rentals like U-Haul. We own a couple of the largest U-Hauls in the nation, private mailboxes, propane filling, ATMs, vending machines, the list, 5G, the list goes on, right? These are all things that we can add on without it being a separate business. Yeah. We operate it by our operator, our managers, and we can still sell that asset as if it was a 100% self-storage asset, which doesn't cause any type of degrading of the cap rate. What are the key factors for such a growth in self-storage? I understand the paradigm about keeping everything 
But is there any anything else that you could share why we're seeing them pop up everywhere in, in North America? And yeah, there's a ton of reasons. The very first thing I'd say is that it's extremely fragmented market, which means there's a lot of opportunity for consolidation. Only 18% of the facilities right now are owned by the six largest publicly traded REITs. Another nine to 10% are owned by the top 100 largest operators, which I'm a part of which means that there's roughly 70% of all the facilities out there that are owned by mom and pop operators, people that they didn't go out to make a business out of this. It's typically their second or third career or they're in retirement already and they just needed something to do. So that's one reason. But then the second reason from the supply side is you look at the largest generational demographics, the baby boomers and then the millennials. The baby boomers are retiring in mass right now. It's something like fifteen mm -hmm. to 16,000 people a day. And what they're doing is they're going from these large three to five bedroom apartments in the suburbs, and they're downsizing it to condos and townhomes because they're empty nesters now. So what happens to all of that stuff? Typically, yeah. it goes into storage. But then on the older end of the baby boomer um, divide. You have people that are unfortunately going into assisted living or, or passing away and they pass away with a lot of possessions. And typically their children, um, instead of having to go through that emotional decluttering, they're just putting it in a self-storage facility and just letting it set. Self-storage is a very sticky asset, which means once you get your stuff in there and you put your credit card on auto pay, you basically forget about it until it's time to move on. So that's the baby boomers. Now, the millennials is a completely different story. So as opposed to like the baby boomers, when they were 18 to 22 years old, they're buying houses in the burbs with a ton of rooms. This is the exact opposite. We're having a housing crisis right now, affordability crisis in this country. So what's happening is a lot of the millennials are opting for much smaller residences on the size of 700 to 1500 square feet. They're typically closer to where all the action is because they don't want to have to use a vehicle or, or have to drive and park that vehicle a lot. But you have people living in downtown quarters next to uh, the entertainment districts, next to restaurants and shopping, things like of that nature. And then they're using a storage facility as a second or third closet because the cost per square foot of renting that is substantially less than, say, the mortgage on buying the change in mortgage on buying a, a a house that is larger to compensate for the amount of room that they need. So because the two largest generations in U.S. history are driving a lot of this demand, you're starting to see a ton of need in, in the self-storage space from a consumer standpoint. So can you share how someone can get involved with your firm um, to invest? Is it the same like uh, multifamily or is there any difference? Yes. Tell people there's multiple ways that you can work with us. You can mm -hmm. sell us facilities that you find. You can buy facilities from us. Uh, we have a wholesale okay. channel. You can also invest with us as a limited partner. If you don't want to do any mm -hmm. of the work, you just want to put your money to work and receive mailbox money, or you can do a joint venture with us. Almost 30% of our deals are joint ventures with up other operators. Typically, operators that are experienced in their own right in a different real estate asset class, but don't know a lot about self-storage and want somebody with a, a good track record to hold their hand through the process. 
over the first 18, 24, 36 months and show the strategy of how do we buy, how do we add value, how do we sell, how do we build, things of that nature. So the easiest way to reach out to us is you can go to our website, which is www.se.com, so sierraecho.com. And then there'll be multiple tabs on that website if you want to get in touch. You can schedule a call, you can sign up for our investor list, you can sign up for our buyer list things of that nature. For those that are a little bit more aggressive in their outreach, you can also, it's something I, I offer to people that uh, bring me on their podcast. So I'll give you, I'll give you my personal cell phone number. So you can give me a call or shoot me a text. It's uh, area code 630-408-8090. And that is my real number. Feel free to call me. I usually get back to everybody within 24 hours. That's wonderful that people can reach directly. That's the first time I had anyone share their private numbers a little bit so, different right yeah no it's definitely it makes sense makes sense so when it comes to the investment part to invest in with you is it the same accredited non-accredited yeah so we have a couple different vehicles yeah. we have a, a debt opportunity where if somebody wants to come and just collect coupons if you will you know what they want to fix interest we have a debt opportunity there's also 506b syndications that we do for those that are just trying to get to that accreditation point. These are typically our smaller deals, very small raises. Obviously, there's rules around investing as a sophisticated investor. Uh, you need to reach out. We need to, uh, subs we need to establish a substantial relationship prior to any investment being offered. And then, of course, there's those 506C syndications that are only for accredited investors. Mm, okay. Different brackets. <clears throat> you mentioned giving back to the community. I believe 1% provide back to the community. Is that how it works Correct. for any? Yeah. Okay. Self-storage is a hyper-localized business. And what we mean by that uh -huh. is typically our trade area is anywhere between one to five miles in radius around our facility or roughly five to 15 minutes driving in any direction from our facility, which means that the majority of our customers are from the specific community in which our, our facility is located. Yeah. So what we do is we have multiple campaigns um, and it's all dependent on the manager that's running that facility that's familiar with that community. And so it may be we've supported better women's shelters in the past, pet shelters as well. We've sponsored little league teams and little hockey teams. We've done school drives in combination with the local police department. We've done some non-financial aspects as well, where you know, for people that have, that has had experienced a fire, we'll allow them to rent one of our units for free for a certain amount of months until they can get their possessions into another house or temporary housing, things like that. So it's not a one size fits all. It's really based on the needs of the community. And we allow yeah. our local managers to spearhead that effort. That's great. Fernando, it was wonderful speaking to you and finding out this information. One more question. Are you doing anything in Canada as well, or is it just U.S.? Right now, it's just the United States. We have looked at international markets. Canada, obviously, the great neighbors to the north, very similar in operating and just much higher taxes. So we have looked in Canada. I have a couple partners up there. We've also looked in South America, Brazil, Mexico City, things like that. Um, you know, 90%, 90 plus percent of the self-storage in the world is based in the United States. So those other markets are definitely emerging markets and it just, it's going to take our firm time to get comfortable with the laws surrounding uh, the asset class and as well as the laws surrounding 
the tax environments and figure out a way. Because we have three main goals as self-stored syndicated equities, and that's the ability to bring tax-advantaged self-stored investments to investors in a way that mitigates downside risk while also being social stewards to the local community. So as long as we can hit those three core values, we, sh we should be able to enter those markets once we feel comfortable. I know you will, Fernando. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on our show. It was great talking yeah. to you. Keep in touch. If there's anything that you want to share, you can always come back if you need help or sharing some story or something that you're launching. If you're writing yeah. a book, that's what a lot of people do. Definitely keep in touch. And thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, audience. Thank you for joining us. Fernando's information will be in the show notes. Get in touch if you're interested with self-storage.